Recorded during the plague year of 2020, this is the Andromeda Minute, a show where Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays we go over one minute of Robert Wise's all-too-timely 1971 techno-thriller, The Andromeda Strain, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tvdads.com. And I'm Rick Bowler, managing partner for Capital CFO Partners, a strategic executive advisory firm, and a board member of Texetra, the Texas Electric Transportation Resources Alliance. And Rick, we're we're going to manual now. We're we're, we're watching uh we're watching uh, Stone and Levitt uh, trying to negotiate the inside of a of a capsule with uh, with a computer controlled camera that doesn't seem to know how to hug the road, and. Uh, uh, they're apparently handing it handing it over to Ruth to to get the job done. Well, and you know, given our own personal experience with technology today, maybe manual is better sometimes. <laughs> I wonder if she has to keep her hands on the joystick at all times just to make sure. I'm that sure that one of those um, CRTs will will throw up a display. <laughs> yes. And and you know, the whole thing about about this minute is this is one of those minutes where I knew that I would never never be a scientist. And one of them is is Dr. Levitt punching all the buttons that are unlabeled and um, moving the joystick around in order to get that camera. If I was doing that, I'd punch the wrong button and probably slam the camera right into the middle of Scoop. Yeah, she, yeah she's a, a regular space monkey here. With the, gosh, there must be, it's got to be about 40 buttons. Well, at least she only has to press a couple and uh, and get things going. I'm, I, I'm impressed that there's only one joystick because apparently she can control all three axes with the uh with the one joystick, but, but maybe she can, maybe she can twirl it like a swizzle stick to get it to rotate. But uh, it's very puzzling. Well, she she uses it like she's uh, been doing it for years. So whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she knows she knows her stuff. Um, I'm just very impressed that they they had an idea of what the automation would would be for, I guess, object avoidance and things like that. And it's uh, it's very peculiar thinking about how much. <laughs> how much they'd need to uh to get things done when they you know and, and the other the other little thing while we were talking earlier about the buttons I, I want to point this out before I forget it uh for so many buttons they only have the old the very old-fashioned 10 uh 10 button touch tone uh, uh dial for the uh for for her uh for her phone calling needs it doesn't have a star or a pound sign on her uh on her phone which is on the uh on the console there well they hadn't figured out a use for star or pound yet that didn't come really until the mid-70s i think yeah yeah so i guess you couldn't uh couldn't leave a message or, or skip the announcement <laughs> <laughs> wow um well, well you you and i both have experience with uh with automated uh driving uh uh we both we both drive electric cars that have uh that have uh some somewhat diff- different levels of uh of self uh, self-driving. How much? How much do you trust your uh, autom- automation uh, when you're when you're behind the wheel? Um, you know, I use on our our uh, Model X has Tesla's latest autopilot version on it, and I use it on highways where we're going eighty plus miles an hour, and I use it in stop and go traffic. Like literally, you're in a backup and you're inching forward. I don't use it so much on anything in between that. I don't like changing lanes um, when their cars around me. I don't like letting the car do that. Um, it can, but it does it like someone who's just learning to drive. And I think it adds a little bit of unpredictability for other drivers because the car doesn't behave 
like what you would expect a human to do yet. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty much the, the same place you're at. I, I do use it a lot on the highway. I find it's it's very nice, when you, especially when you're coming up on uh, some congestion and it'll, it'll know when to slow down. Uh, although I, found, I have the earlier version of the autopilot and I do notice that it gets very upset when you get into places like rolling hills and things where it doesn't quite know where, what the road's doing up ahead of it and it just decides that it's going to head for a guardrail instead. So we're, we're not really... I, I think I'm much like uh, much like Dr. Stone here. If it gets too jaggedy looking uh, or irregular, I, I'm not going to push the automatic button. Uh, I think that's probably wise. And despite uh, what we might have heard about the car being full full self driving by the end of the year, um, mine is not going to be full self driving by December. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very op- optimistic uh, return. I do. I do enjoy watching these uh, these nice old fashioned. I I recognize uh, being an old film major, the uh, the camera uh, lens that's being stuffed in there is a, uh, a from a Bell and Hal seventy uh, uh, sixteen millimeter camera lens. That's a that's a standard, very rugged lens that uh, that that they just repurposed off of an old wind up uh, Bell and Hal camera and stuck it on a on a on a pipe to make it look scientificy. Is it the same lens that they used? It must be later in the film where they were where they were um, filming the uh, the uh, not micro but the alien form uh, morphing. Were they not using some kind of film camera for that? Yeah, they, yeah, they were they were bringing in. Um, well, they were yeah they were bringing in larger. I th- I, I may be wrong, but I thought they were eclair cameras that were coming down from the when they were when they were filming it for uh, for posterity. Those look like uh, eclair uh, eclair cameras to me that were they were coming down out of the ceiling. But these are these are more like the kind that they were using during World War II. They were basically it's a it's it's a box with an a, a absurdly large wind up key on the right hand side of of the of the unit, and you they're extremely rugged when. Uh, when you grab them, this, this big heavy key that you turn and turn and turn would wind up a spring, and then you'd get about maybe uh, a little bit over a minute and a half of filming done before it would just stop dead. Mm. Um, so, okay, so they were able to save some money and repurpose that lens, and then they brought this anemic light in to kind of brighten things up a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, and it's probably a a mass, you know, a very bright incandescent bulb that was cooking whatever they were trying. <laughs> They're trying to salvage out of it. I mean, I just it is it is uh, it does seem to be a little bit far away, but I would imagine that it's got a big uh, that that light that comes down out of the ceiling seems to have some kind of a uh, a Fresnel or some kind of a, a lens on it that would focus the both the light and the heat of uh, of the lamp down on whatever they're looking at. So um, maybe they caused it to um, morph into something different. Yeah, that that could be it. This could be the uh, patient, or not patient zero, but this could be the, the precipitating event that, that ruins everything. That's the, yeah, the grasshopper effect or whatever. Yeah. Um, then as we're switching to the, at the at the very end of this minute, we're seeing the, the two patients, the baby and uh, Mr. Jackson. Uh, well, he, we don't know he's Mr. Jackson yet, but uh, he's on, this thing reminds me of that, that Star Trek episode of What Are Little Girls Made Of, where they were making a, a fake Kirk to uh, take over the enterprise, <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, this is a, a nice repurposing of a uh, 
of a, 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 a I, I keep wondering what else that was used for. It's Universal Studios, so it could have been out of an old, uh, uh, not Busby Berkeley, but I'm trying to remember who else worked for Universal at the time. But this could be from an old musical. <laughs> it could be from the, the base of, of some stage where they had done a musical before that they needed a rotating stage. Well, the good news for me uh, with that was that we get to see more of Karen because I, I found some of the extra characters like Toby and Karen <clears throat> just really broke this up a lot. Yeah. And so I look forward to uh, them not being a plotting scientist following the scientific method. And we're going to do things this way forever because yeah, this it, is the it, way we do it. It's funny with the, with the possible exception of Ruth Levitt, none of them really seem to be. Um, I, I don't think you'd ever want to hang with any of them. You know, I. Charlie Dutton might be a listener, but I don't think he's much of a, here's something interesting. I don't think he comes across with lots of funny stories. Um, I doubt if we would be able to remember our time with Dr. Levitt. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, she seems to, uh, she seems to enjoy uh, complaining about things and not, not, well, they mm -hmm. don't seem to be, I mean, Dr. Hall complains about things and making fun of things. And Well, he just thought his money was coming in for free and didn't realize he'd actually have to do some work and he's kind of bitter about it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, this is this is hitting him on the weekend and, uh, you know, he might have had a golf date scheduled. Um, we don't exactly know where he, where he was working, but I get the feeling he wasn't, you know, he wasn't suffering in the snow somewhere like, like Charlie Dutton. Uh, he might have been another California, you know, Californian like uh, like Dr. Stone was. Uh, but he's uh, definitely, yeah, definitely annoyed that, that they took his weekend away from him. Um, I'm just... There we are. Uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, gosh, the, the biggest budget item on this, besides the uh, uh, those Doug Trumbull five-layer budget, uh, uh, animations must have been the amount of stainless steel in this. This none of this see, like the most expensive part seems to be the stainless steel everything in this uh, in this movie. And I know I realize that that these are redresses of the same set. The 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 patients are in the same room where the monkey died and where the mice were getting gassed. Uh, but still, it's a, it's an awful lot of metal for for a single movie. And do you think it really is stainless? I even even if it's just a uh, a finish, uh, you think about how much uh, a stainless steel countertop is. It's it still can't be cheap. I would think that even back in the seventies, this was running into tens of thousands of dollars for um, fabricating. It doesn't. None of it looks like it's just painted on. I don't. I don't think you could get that kind of a finish with mere paint. Um, yeah, fair enough. It's like we sit there and we look at movies over the years. And a lot of them just really weren't meant to be seen in Blu-ray or 4K, minute by minute, frame by frame, like we're doing here. Um, maybe 2001 is the exception, where somehow um, they ha they knew that it was going to be looked at frame by frame, given all the detail in the in, in the shots. Um, so I'm always surprised in in films of, like this that there actually is some detail that you couldn't possibly have noticed in the theater, but does show itself. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, there's it. I have, I, I've been, I've been watching and I haven't seen any, you know, plaster, plaster boxes substituting for a computer. It all looks like they've either borrowed something somewhere or found some very high resolution techie thing. Even if it's a bell and how lens, uh, 
just that makes it it gives you the whole over the the overarching feeling that yeah this this looks like like the real thing it's not just a a prop um and so how many things in this movie actually were branded because there are a lot of things which i think could have had a brand behind it like the teletype that failed had rca all over it and i'm sure they're right. really pleased with that product placement yeah that was it yeah an asr 33 so it was it was that was a real thing um there were you know there was lots of coca-cola products all over scattered over the you know the, the <laughs> groceries that the, the piedmont residents dropped um there the, but no the gas station was not I, I don't think that the gas station had a brand on it though on that touchscreen medical thing with the with the pen that might have been like a tektronix product in their early days yeah yeah um and there's a there's a couple of i i think upstairs next to the teletype there was a vt52 which is really dating myself that early early i'm surprised there wasn't any like ibm equipment because ibm loved getting their stuff put up in front of stuff um there was a, a horrible idea with uh uh, yeah, a movie made at the same time, Colossus: The Forbin Project, where all the all the terminals were made by controlled data, and the whole story was about a computer taking over the world and and setting off nuclear bombs. <laughs> it's like not a good look for controlled data. Um, well, certainly powerful equipment. So yeah, CDC yeah. See for the win, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's um yeah, it's just just kind of uh, interesting, and this is this is a little bit before. I think the following years when they really got heavily into uh, product placement um, with another Universal and Doug- Douglas Trumbull uh, vehicle, which was uh, Silent Running. Silent Running had all kinds of uh, – well, had American Airlines. Airlines. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, just smattered with – I mean, they, everybody – Everybody wearing uh, spacesuits was decked out like a NASCAR racer. They had all kinds of patches on their. They looked like uh, Captain Amazing from Mystery Men. Um, it, it's surprising they didn't have Pepsi as a as a logo somewhere. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is. I guess Robert Wise wasn't wasn't keen on, or maybe he wasn't clued into the fact that you could make money by letting uh, people sponsor their their work here. Um, it does seem like some place where you could have. Um, I, I know in the book they talk about Millipore Corporation, which was a, a firm out of uh, Massachusetts that would make uh, filters. And the uh, those that one yeah, the hundred angstrom, one micron, two micron was based on different sized Millipore filters, which I think Creighton had a lot of uh, background information from Millipore to explain how to do filtration systems and gas and, and determining what airborne stuff was. So uh, Millipore got its own little uh, uh, product mention in the book <laughs> instead of the movie. But, you know, it's a good move on their part. Um, I think they also mentioned Raytheon, but I'm, I may not be sure. But Crichton, I think, has a has a Massachusetts background, so it makes sense with things like Millipore and, and Raytheon. Or, you know, just being in the, uh, the pharmacology area. If he wasn't in central New Jersey, he'd be talking to people in uh, eastern Massachusetts. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you got if you've mentioned this in any of the previous minutes, but this this whole section on the, the scientific method, you know, got actually got called out. You know, the Infectious Diseases Society of America thought that the Andromeda strain was like the most significant scientifically accurate movie made. 
Hmm. And wow. that was in 2003 publication of it. So that actually means you include a lot of other pandemic um, films after it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about outbreak and and, and or the hot zone, um, yeah, I, I keep wondering if this is to, if this is to microbiology and pathology, uh, what uh, my cousin Vinny was to lawyers. So <laughs> it's, uh, I, I would imagine that some pathologists may have come across come across this movie, or you know, budding pathologists may have come across this movie and said, "I, I want to do this." Um, I just. Uh, I the whole thing that I that I got from this when I was a a little kid was I want to go play with computers someday, and uh, you know I could hardly wait for something where you had a you had a the equivalent of a medcom. And <laughs> I, I never realized that in growing up that the the uh, the our equivalent of medcom would just if you typed in anything it would tell you you've got some kind of cancer. That's all you know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's where we seem to be with WebMD nowadays. But it's just uh, I was <laughs> was hoping for a little more. Um, so what was the uh, first computer you got to play with? First computer I got to play with was a a Singer computer. A friend of mine had a, uh, that, that is right, the Singer Sewing Machine Company briefly went into electronics. And uh, they came out with a, a, a 2K computer that would, uh, uh, it had a little, a very, very, very tiny CRT in it that was about the size of a, an oscilloscope. And it would, it would be able to do things like, uh, uh, calculate what day of the week uh, a, a calendar date was. You could type in, you know, 4th of July, 1776, and it would come back saying Thursday. And you go, oh, really? It was Thursday? You know, that was the kind of exciting things you could do with 2K. Um, the first one that I had of my own uh, during when I was in high school, uh, there was an Explorer post run by, uh, I was living in Westchester, New York, and I, I went to the uh, Thomas Watson Research Center where... Uh, uh, what nowadays it's known for the Watson computer that was on Jeopardy, but back in the day they had a bunch of uh, IBM System 370s that uh, they would allow a bunch of high school kids to come in and play on their computers. So I learned, I learned a bunch of strange uh, programming languages like APL and PL1. Got to program a, a Textronics 4013 uh, monitor like they used on uh, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, I had to draw the Star Wars logo. Uh, that was my that was my first real idea that oh this is this is kind of hard but I can I can do it so that was that would be mine where where were you at in in your uh, first your, the genesis of your computer interactions Rick so um, the first computer I, I got to play with actually was um, the Delta Airlines reservation terminal I was traveling as an unaccompanied minor and I had a very long layover in Atlanta. And the uh, person responsible for making sure that I didn't get in trouble or disappear um, logged me into the reservations computer. And I could look up uh, and show me how to look up records and stuff. And so that was about an hour's worth of uh, playing without it, whatever Delta system could do. And I probably didn't get to uh, um, use another computer until um, maybe went to computer land and looked at some of the um, Altairs or something and played with those in the store, but my uh, parents got me an Apple II um, shortly after it came out. And that's when I really got to uh, be very excited about my 16K of RAM and my cassette tape loading programs. <laughs> wow. Well, it, it's funny that you bring up uh, uh, Delta's uh, reservation system. My, my mom worked on, uh, she worked for American Airlines for 40 years, and uh, she started in their... Uh, 
in their reservations or their marketing department for reservations. And uh, she was one of the people that worked on the uh, uh, what would later become Saber. And uh, I can remember she she would take me into uh, to their offices in the early 60s. And uh, she had a friend in Los Angeles. We, we went out to visit and her friend uh, showed us showed us uh, our the, the flight that we had taken out. We, we got to see it on, on the Sabre reservation system. And it, it not only mentioned what seat we were in at the time that we flew out, but what we had for dinner. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Um, but that was uh, it, it's kind of it's kind of weird thinking about where that was. And that was in like the, the, the late 60s. And just thinking, you know, it never it never hit me. It's like, oh, all that stuff is marketing information. You can find out what people like and what people didn't like. And, you know, that all this churning stuff. Uh, it's been around a lot longer than I, I I think most people are aware of, you know, data mining and stuff like that nowadays. But it, the idea that the airlines have been doing this since the since the 60s, knowing all about us and our, our habits and where we're, you know, our comings and goings, it's... Uh, it's it's back during the during this time of and of andromeda strain so um i'm i'm impressed i'm i'm surprised that nobody's gone into that back then like there were no as far as i can tell there were no 70s things until like into the 80s when the net came out when when the idea was that you could track somebody by computer and know you know know what their habits were and where they you know where they stopped for gas and what they what hotel they stayed at um and it's just yes. kind of surprising that they missed it in the 70s. Nobody was sharing their data, though, right? The hotels had their own reservation yeah. systems, and and um, airlines had their own and different islands of data that never spoke. Yeah, and and nowadays you find out that if you if you said the word ladder in front of your uh, your phone, you'd see a, an ad for Home Depot on Facebook <laughs> in about a half an hour. So it's, <laughs> it's a the world the world keeps changing not for, who knows if it's for the better for us but there's there's a lot more a lot more information to be shared so maybe we're going to learn something from it. i don't i don't know um anyway this i know we've gone far afield from uh, from this particular minute but we've got some uh we've got some up close and personal stuff coming up on friday so let's uh let's hold off until then we'll talk talk some more about uh but we're getting on the we're getting on the medical side of this uh as we end up the week um anyway uh for folks who'd like to talk more about these different subjects we've been bringing up Always uh, welcome you on uh, social media. You find us on uh, Twitter at Andromeda Minute or on uh, Facebook at Project Wildfire. If you've missed any of the previous, gosh, 74 episodes or the pre- previous 73 episodes, they're available uh, always on our big site, AndromedaMinute.com, or you can find them at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or I, uh, what's the other one? Um, TuneIn. TuneIn has, uh, has us, or you know, Google Play, as I said. Uh, has it there it, so wherever you found this one go back and, and subscribe and you can uh, catch up on the previous episodes and you know, please do that anyway we will be back on friday to finish up the week uh, in the meantime please do the three things we always talk about wash your hands stay six feet apart apart from people and uh, wear a mask and uh, hopefully we can get rid of this plague as soon as possible but we'll see you here next time as we close out the week on friday on the andromeda minute Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.